Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 338. Today, I have Daniel Breeze with me on the podcast. He is the head of growth at ASW Global. It is a largely Australian-based outsourcing firm, and they have 11 offices, about 1,200 staff, and they are now celebrating their 10th birthday right now. So uh, it's an exciting period and time for ASW. They have, interestingly, global offices across uh, Asia, uh, Malaysia, Vietnam, and the Philippines. So had an interesting conversation with Daniel about the positioning of different offices, the different skills available across different countries, and how you can uh, balance that and take advantage of that as a business owner. So interesting conversation. And as always, I learned a lot. And of course, Daniel is a seasoned professional in the offshoring space. So hope you enjoy. If you want, as always, any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you're already outsourcing, about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your outsourcing practices. We list over 700 outsourcing suppliers on our website, host this leading outsourcing podcast, and have over 5,000 pages of content. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. We offer everything from light brokerage, co-managed services, through to fully managed solutions. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Mention that you're a podcast listener and we will give you special attention plus a 10% discount. This is for a limited time only. Go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Hi, Derek. Thanks for having me. You're based in uh, Sydney and I've spent you know a lot of years in Sydney and it is so close to the Philippines and it's almost the same time zone. You know, I'm actually quite amazed that not every business is outsourcing or having offshore staffing. Um, what are your impressions from sitting in Sydney and what's the general awareness like of, of offshore staffing to Australians? Yeah, I think uh, you're right. The time zone has become... I think one of the real advantages of the Philippines uh, and Southeast Asia in general, you know, um, I think a lot of Australian businesses are often surprised that, you know, the the two-hour delay or three-hour delay, depending on daylight savings and where you are in Australia, um, and that's obviously for East Coast, um, it, it's a seamless fit in that regard. Um, my view on where outsourcing is, look, I feel that um, on the back of a global talent shortage, we and obviously with the adoption of technology, particularly in the last 18 months, you know, with, with the pandemic and what have you, I feel like we're on the precipice of a very huge incline for demand. And I think the main demand is talent. Obviously, cost will always be uh, a motivator, but I feel that we're seeing, particularly in technology and finance and some of those uh, mid-level roles, that the talent shortage is, is um, yeah, it's quite profound. Um 
so yeah, that, that's what I'm probably seeing things at the moment. I think that the hardest part is is probably for the Australian market is understanding that there isn't a one size fits all, and there are so many options out there. You wouldn't have a business, I'd imagine, Derek, if that wasn't the case. You know, there are so many options out there. So um, I think the challenge we have now is educating, you know, the market as to what is available and uh, perhaps which which solution is best fit for them. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the, the two things there that I really resonated with me is the tipping point of demand. And I, I have a theory of, you know, all business owners kind of know each other and they're in communities. And I reckon once 20, 30% of business owners all offshore, then mm-hmm. it'll just be like, a, you know, as you say, a tipping point and everyone, it will just become so normalized. And I feel like Australia's kind of up there um other countries are still way behind but we're gonna yeah. we're gonna have this where it's just normal you know to have offshore yeah. staff yeah i think that um yeah you're right I, I feel that my perceptions are a little bit slow here to adopt um and we also probably think that we do things best here and uh, we're probably a bit, bit overconfident yeah. in our in our abilities here but you're, you're right i feel that um as the adoption becomes a little bit more uh well known that yeah it's going to be um, yeah, f- far more uptake more broadly within the market here. Um, and I think that's also on the back of the fact that, you know, we're now pre-pandemic unemployment. Um, there just isn't enough talent to go around. So yeah, it's, be- it's become a real driver. And that's another thing, isn't it? You know, this outsourcing isn't just cutting costs. It's about having incredible access to abundant talent and, there's just Absolutely. so many countries now where there's record low unemployment, you know, and people can't find Absolutely. the stuff they need. In fact, I would say since uh, in my five years of, of in the industry, in the last two in particular, I would say that the the, the main driver has been talent over cost. Uh, Australian businesses have been looking for local talent and just simply can't find it. And often outsourcing becomes, the, oh, have you thought about this? You know, solution and um, they then start looking and exploring it. Um, cost, I think, will always be um, a driver and that probably should be considered just a given. I, I think that, yeah, you're right, that most businesses are typically quite surprised at the level of talent they can access here. I think there's a perception that perhaps it's just call centre work or it's data entry agents and menial type tasks that we would perceive here. The reality is there is some incredible mid and senior level talent that is accessible. Yeah, I, I want to get the virtual assistant term completely thrown out of the dictionary, you know, because it, yeah. it's it's just wrong. Like you don't have VAs in Australia or the US. It's almost like this separate breed of, of person and it doesn't really work yeah. like that. Like you have skilled roles doing certain functions. Oh, um, and look, I was I was guilty, you know, prior to, to now obviously being in the industry for, for quite a while. My perception of what was um, available and accessible was somewhat probably considered what everyone else would, you know, and a little bit naive. Uh, it wasn't until I went overseas and visited our offices and went through all the, you know, meeting all the teams and what's been delivered, I kicked myself. I, I really do. I kicked myself from my business ownership days 15 years ago of what was available to me had I had looked a little bit further and perhaps done my own research Um so, yeah, it, there's a huge opportunity out there. Um, and you're right, yeah, it is probably a, it cast as a VA-type role only and, and, and there's so much more available. 
Yeah, it just really limits it, doesn't it? You know, and yeah. and it's 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 super interesting. You know, we've got more automation than ever. We've got more software. We've got more robotics, and we've got more outsourcing than ever. Yeah. Um, and yet, we're still at low record, low employment levels, uh, unemployment yeah. levels. Um, and so it's you know this it's only good for the economy, isn't it? You know, it, it's a positive feedback mechanism, and it's not taking jobs. It's just creating stronger economies and better companies. For, for sure. Yeah, I think that where where we look at offshore, in my view, is is that the offshore or outsourcing, whatever that you know the, the terminology may be for that client fit, um, it really is about leveraging onshore capability, not necessarily transferring one headcount from one location to another, but how do we leverage the existing team onshore to be able to perhaps um, take a step in more senior role that they're currently in or do more meaningful tasks to be able to deliver better customer experience to their client, I think that's where the opportunity is. Um, the misconception is is that it's um, local headcount gone and that obviously then is popped up overseas. And I, I don't, whilst that's going to happen, I don't think that's the norm. Mm-hmm. And so let's uh, rewind a little bit then and tell us a little bit about ASW and, and where you are yeah. in the market. Sure. So we're actually about to celebrate our 10-year anniversary, our, Congratulations. our business birthday. Thank you. Yes, that's going to be um, different. Obviously, we were planning on all being together uh, overseas and bringing all of our offices together. Um, well, yes, a 10-year-old business. Our CEO and co-founder, uh, Joe uh, Fussell, at the time was CIO of uh, one of the largest, Australia's largest uh, personal injury funds, uh, EML. That business was going through a whole um, transformational growth, particularly technology. And on the back of that, much like we are today, there's a huge technology talent shortage. Um, Joe had a bunch of Vietnamese local devs at the time working here in Sydney. And, you know, by no great strategy other than I wonder if there's more just like these guys, you know, still in Vietnam, uh, we then set up a Vietnamese um, development team as to, to operate as uh, a captive to work purely and solely for, for EML at the time. Uh, at the same time, in parallel, there was also a, a need for business services, business admin services, and we established a, a business in the Philippines as well. And so quite quickly, we, we kicked off two office locations. Um, and look, initially, it was set up as a, as a captive, but very quickly, um, it then became a, an opportunity where the network within that business started to talk about the success and how positive the experience had been and the level of capability. And uh, the immediate network started asking for support. And what started out as, I think, 20 developers at the time, we're now sitting at just over 1,200 staff um, and three low, three countries. So we're, we're in Vietnam in Saigon in, in Ho Chi Minh. Uh, we've got uh, a, an office in the Philippines in BGC and an office in Malaysia in KL. So it's yeah, it's been a pretty aggressive growth over those ten years, and and at the same time, obviously, we're here in Sydney with an executive team. Fantastic! Congratulations. So, three locations, three countries. Yeah. What are the what are the pros and cons of different countries? Why aren't you just in one country? You know, yeah. um, how do you how do you sort of explain the the orientation to to different countries and skill sets? Yeah, good question. So obviously, each country has different cultures as well, and you know, and I think that's part of it. Um, Vietnam, we've been the the real um, success story out of Vietnam has been the quality of development talent 
that we've got. So the, the dev talent and technology talent in Vietnam has been somewhat of a um, of a unicorn story for us. We a very large part of our team in Vietnam are development. Um, and at the same time, we also have, surprisingly, I think for a lot of businesses, is very high quality, high caliber accounting talent also in, in Vietnam. And that's probably in the back of a few things. For example, uh, in Saigon, there is an RMIT university, which is an Australian university, the same as what's in, uh, in Melbourne. Uh, so in Vietnam, we've found uh, really exceptional dev talent. Um, it is a more of a challenge in Vietnam, particularly with the English skills. Obviously, it hasn't got the depth um, of English capability that the Filipinos have. Um, I think the Philippines are at 98% literacy. I think I think Vietnam, Vietnam is somewhere around 10. So whilst the talent pool is is exceptionally strong, the communication skills become the challenge in Vietnam. Touch mm. wood, we've managed to deliver on the objectives for our clients there, but it, it, it is a challenge. Um, thankfully, as one of the fastest growing economies, the English skills are really catching up there. So, um, so would you suggest with Vietnam then you need almost like an interface between the people doing the work and the client, whereas in the Philippines you can almost work more one-to-one? I think that where it's important in establishing a team in Vietnam is that, that initial team member, that, that team leader, um, needs to have exceptional communication skills. I think the onus on perhaps more, the more mid-level or junior-level talent to have exceptional communication. I want to say communication skills. I'm referring to obviously verbal skills and, and um, you know, the conversational skills rather than the written. I think all of the written um, emails and communications are, you know, on par with anywhere, but the accent and what have you and having those conversations via VC, I feel that it's important that the team leader or that initial senior member has got great comm skills and the owners then on perhaps the mid-level and juniors probably isn't quite such an importance. Um, in regards to the Philippines, so we, we set up there on the back of um, a huge need for business administration services, and that then grew also into IT. And and then from there, look, and, and you know this, and I'm sure a lot of your providers in the similar boat, given the, the high-quality English skills, you can almost deliver any role you know, out of the Philippines, given how, how strong the comm skills are. Um, not every role, but certainly, you know, a large majority. The Malaysian um, expansion come on the back of a need of for really high-quality IT talent. Uh, Malaysia's um, quite fortunate in the sense that a lot of the HPs and the IBMs and the, um, the large IT HQs are, are based in KL, and on the back of that, we're able to access you know, extremely high caliber talent um, within the infra space in particular. So yeah. on the back of that, we, we grew quite rapidly within IT in Malaysia. And Malaysia is very much, I guess, in comparison to say the Philippines, Malaysia is somewhat of a developed country. You know, it, it, it's got probably some stronger infrastructure in, in some regard by way of health systems and what have you. Um, probably isn't quite as cost effective a way of comparable to, to salaries, but it's a very seamless fit um, given that majority of staff that we're hiring um, are doing the same role that our clients are looking for or how they're doing it from a Malaysian business. So the ability to simulate is, is quite straightforward. Um, 
And at the same time, we have a whole bunch of insurance talent also working out of, of Malaysia. Again, the AIGs and what have you have some really big um, really big teams there. Again, that, that talent source is quite strong for us. That's incredible. It's almost becoming like a global smorgasbord of, of different skills and talents and uh, it really it's incredible. In sort of 10, 20, 30 years, you can just imagine people picking and choosing from just a list of countries and <laughs> skill sets. It's very much like that, yeah. And, and look, I think we'll be expanding into more countries. We see um, opportunities to, to really keep growing. Joe is of the opinion, you know, that he wants to give developing countries opportunity um, and that's a big part of his value is, is setting up uh, ASW and locations where there's great talent base and perhaps not the opportunity for them to be able to, to work and provide for their families. And, and obviously we become hopefully a support system to be able to give them the opportunity. So I, I dare say we'll, we'll be opening up in a few more countries in the near future. And how would you advise like a small or medium-sized business They maybe want, you know, let's say one dev, one IT person, mm. one customer service? Yeah. Would you recommend yeah. they go to the country where it's best suited or is there value in having all three in one room in one country? I, I generally advise people if you're building a big team, then you can mm. go to countries for specialized teams. But the yeah. smaller teams, is there's sort of value in being together. Where, where do you sit yeah. in, in terms of that? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think if it's a small team, there is definitely value in being co-located. Um, you know, just for collaboration. And, when, and I, I, I admit, obviously, with COVID, that's become more of a challenge because there are more distributed teams than ever. Um, but definitely, I would say, where possible, co-locating, particularly in the early setup, is is suggested. And it's not always possible for some clients for, for reasons of their own, but where we recommend... Um, the opportunity to set up a team. First, my first recommendation is to start with someone who's more senior. I think managing someone overseas can be a challenge. Um, often, when people are looking at outsourcing, it's a race to the bottom of who can do it cheap, you know, the cheapest. You know, and that becomes the, the driver. For our business, our priority has always been this is a long-term um, approach. Um, your business hopefully isn't going anywhere. And by way of that, let's build this for long-term success. And by doing that, we strongly recommend to invest in a senior person initially. And it might be 20% or 25% more than perhaps what they were initially considering as an investment. We feel that the IP that's gained by going someone with the experience and um, leadership skills necessary is paid back, you know, fivefold in the, in over the year because their ability then to then manage teams, team members two, three, and four on behalf of the client um, means that their onshore bandwidth isn't spread thin. Um, it means their rate of scale. We've done some numbers internally. Businesses who set up with senior people initially tend to scale at nine times quicker. So for us, we feel that um, that's definitely a must. We do have teams, and you mentioned it earlier, we do have teams that are larger, and those teams, when you get to a certain size, obviously the risk there is is far less, and then the opportunity then to scale into other countries um, becomes an opportunity. It's funny, on the back of this whole pandemic thing, you know, we talk about business continuity more than ever. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly that's one of our, our strengths, given we have the multiple locations. So we're now seeing businesses that were set up in one location now looking at what's set up in other locations as well, not only for business continuity, but for diversity and all the other opportunities that are available. So 
Yeah, it's, it's a good question, but I definitely think where possible co-locate initially with a founding team, um, particularly small teams, and I think with bigger teams that are established, it is worth exploring, yeah, potentially venturing into new to new markets. That's funny. Before the pandemic, you know, there was so much talk of uh, BCPs, um, business continuity mm-hmm. plans, and a lot of it was about having secondary sites and redundancies. And, and then yeah. the pandemic came along, and it was basically regardless of where you were sitting, who you were, what facilities you had, everyone was kind of knocked out because it was yeah. it was global, and none of the BCP plannings had really had this in in mind um but no, how did you go well let's talk about the pandemic for you you know how sure. what uh, over a year ago now but it yep. must have been a scramble for you to keep operations up and get everyone home base yeah i think initially like everyone there was a, a heightened sense of anxiety um locally not knowing what the government was going to do and obviously people's health concerns were were everyone's forefront and at the same time we have the unique situation we have three different countries of operation and each of those countries will respond differently based on that their personal circumstances. So with the Philippines in specific, um, we were quite fortunate in the lead up to uh, the lockdown, the initial hard lockdown there, we were able to stress test our IT with, with our various clients and make sure that we were well prepared in the event that it did go into a lockdown. Um, at the same time, and you'll recall when it did have to go into lockdown, it was a bit of a oh, wow, this is happening right now. Like, didn't give a lot of time to, to plan in that regard. We were we were fortunate enough where we bought up all of the accommodation within BGC that we could wow. um, for all of our, our staff. So that way they could still have access to work if, um, if our clients were comfortable with them still working from the office. Um, we had a huge process by way of access and exit within the office. We had no overlay by way of day shift and night shift. Um, and at the same time, we're able to deploy our IT really quickly to all of our staff's homes um, and test their own connectivity and utilities from the home. Um, all in all, we had four hours of downtime. Wow. So it's that's probably been, whilst the pandemic made us all gain grey hair at a frightening rate of knots, what, one of the things it did do was it, probably assured us that we felt we had the best you know, the, the best possible people in the right positions helping us navigate through that in, in our offices. They all really came to the fore. And then I think the other thing that really did was by way of culture. So with, with Joe, which to this day I think has probably been one of the more admirable things I can recall in business management, um, Joe, when things here were at their most heightened uh, Joe announced to all of our staff that he would guarantee their jobs for 12 months. Um, and um, that was obviously going to be a seven-figure investment. Um, and we, we knew that and probably closer, could probably much more than that. But it got to the point where um, I think that initial anxiety from employees, not knowing whether, you know, the business they work with, the Australian client was going to fold or whether they could sustain the pandemic, that initial um, job security I think by way of culture, um, set in stone, really, rather than talking the talk, we walked the walk and um, it was profound. From all the things that we have on our walls and our coffee cups and T-shirts, when it come down to it, that's that's what really um, made the biggest statement to our, to our team. And look, now I think 
the staff are working from home. Um, our biggest concern now is obviously making sure their mental health, you know, that their isolation and it's, and as you would know, there's often three or four generations working in the same, living in the same uh, home. Um, our, our concern now is making sure that their their um their health and wellbeing is okay. Well, oh, that's huge, uh, you know, and I think it's important for people to realise that the in the West, you know, and Australia and the US, there there was huge government support and you know huge paychecks from coming from the government so there's this kind of yeah. safety net whereas yeah. in certainly in the philippines the the government really leans on the private sector saying you know what are you guys yeah. going to do to support the people yeah. and the economy and yeah. so the buck stops with the private sector and um you know for for you for example to underwrite everyone's employment for 12 months it, it's really sort of a staggering uh, commitment to to the people and the culture isn't it uh, yeah, it was a wonderful gesture. Yeah, and, and I think it, to, to this day, even though it was announced probably around March of last year or April of last year when it initially um, was announced, I think even to this day, I, I feel that it's still profound and it still resonates with with the staff. Um, so yeah, I think that it, it's whilst it was not a fun experience for anybody, I think we had some invaluable lessons come out of it, and um, yeah, for that we are thankful. And in terms, you know, two two points there. In terms of BCPs, uh, you know, you can spend an enormous amount to have BCPs in place. And and I think mm-hmm. the often the best BCP is the simplest and cheapest, which is effectively, you know, if if sites go down, uh, yeah. if anything happens, can you get staff up again on a laptop yeah. and mm-hmm. mobile working from anywhere? And it seems that the best BCP really is is a laptop and connectivity. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. I think that um, that IT um, infrastructure within providers really was what probably sorted the the men from the boys or the you know the haves and the have-nots. You know, mm. so yeah, you're right. The BCP and and the I guess the importance on technology over that that period has just become enormous. So yeah, it's funny now. A lot of our due diligence is really around IT with all of our prospective clients uh, to make sure that, you know, we can support them in the event they need, you know, a BCP. And pre-pandemic, I don't want to sound too fuddy-duddy, but I, you know, I, I would only really work with outsourcing suppliers that were fully office-based. And even though I'm very pro-remote work, and I think that's, yep. you know, a massive boon for the industry, I still think it's better to have people in the office in the Philippines and, and yep. you know, they're just better environments. But, of course, with the pandemic, it tipped it all on its head. So where are you now um, with your sort of thoughts yep. in terms of home versus office-based? I – so currently, obviously, we've still – Unlike Australia and the overseas, our overseas locations are still very much in the grips of the pandemic. And I'd say probably 80% of our staff are still working from home. Um, I think my belief is is the same. I think that the productivity and culture that the office environment brings is is very hard to match. Um, at the same time, being able to assure clients that there is a level of governance there by way of um, physical visibility um, and security also um, has value. I, I'd like to think that once the pandemic washes over that all of our staff will be back in the office and that's certainly our expectation. And from the EVP, that our, our surveys that we do with our employees, the consensus is, is that there is a real uh, appetite to get back into the office. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, I tend to agree. I think where possible, utilise the office infrastructure. There's a, utilities, connectivity, which aren't very strong in a lot of instances where people's homes are based. Um, when we talk about BCP, um, it's very hard to assure any of that when you haven't got the utilities or infrastructure there. So I, I definitely agree that there's value in being in the office. Um, yeah, no, no doubt. And again, it's worth reminding people that the average Filipino home is not like the average Australian home, is it? You know, there's, there's not the the, yeah. the the sort of workplaces and space and, and structure around it. Yeah, and at the same time, they're dealing with typhoons and storms and flooding. And you know, last year, you know, Ulysses and what have you. Like, it's there's earthquakes. There's things there that you know, perhaps we're not perhaps we're, we're a little bit naive to understand as to how challenging. You know, just the natural disasters can also be, you know, in some of these locations. So, yeah, absolutely right. So, tell us a little bit about ASW. Like, you are obviously based in Australia. Do you do you yeah. only cater to Australian clients? Are you global in that respect? We are global. I'd say that ninety percent of our client base is Australian uh, clients. We do have US, New Zealand, and uh, UK based clients, um, but the large majority are Australian based. Um, we provide uh, fully managed services. So I guess when we talk about outsourcing versus offshoring, we would tend to fit ourselves into the offshoring category where we're building dedicated teams. Um, and, and I think a big part of our initial conversation with clients is understanding from their perspective, you know, what is it they're actually looking for? Are they looking to build a dedicated in-source team offshore or are they looking to outsource something by way of an SLA to a third-party provider um, who manages the functions on their behalf. Um, yeah, so we've now got, as, as I mentioned earlier, about 1,200 staff. We'd have circa 100 clients or thereabouts. Um, and we're delivering, so we're industry agnostic, which is a good thing and a bad thing, Derek. You know, when people ask us what we do, really we, build, we help build their, their teams. And, and, and the challenge is, well, the easy answer would be, oh, we, we do um, business services or back-end administration or we do, you know, help desk. But the reality is we've now got over 100 different roles that we're delivering for our clients. And, and really what we do is we, we, we manage, provide managed services and build teams. Yeah, it's really the facilitation of the globalised employment opportunity, isn't it? And that's where... It really is. And, and the coordination of all that, you know, and it's not just like a, a dating service where you connect people, as you have said about the no. pandemic, there's an incredible amount of work going into the back end to ensure continual uptime and to ensure connectivity and standards. And um, so, yeah, incredible. Yeah, kind of absolutely. Value. Yeah, it's, it's huge. I think if, uh, and look, we, we would probably position ourselves at, at the premium end of client. Um, we, we, given it is an a end-to-end solution from talent sourcing uh, all the way through to integration and optimization of, of team performance, um, we, we find ourselves at a, with a client that really is looking at a longer-term strategy rather than a short-term fix. Um, so they wanted some sustainability. Most of our clients have a real interest in HR, policy, talent sourcing strategies, um, IT governance, um, data security, all of those things. So, yeah, our client tends to fit in, in in that market or that bracket. And at the same time, I should say that we, have, we do have a whole bunch of teams that are ones and twos and threes, smaller teams. And at the same time, we have teams in the hundreds. So it's, um, it's agnostic by way of industry and agnostic by way of team size. And 
do you think outsourcing is literally suited to any business in any sector? Where do you where do you sort of see mm. incredible results or clients that you know have just shone? Yeah, I think I think given we've done so many roles, it's hard to find an industry where we haven't been able to provide some value. Um, I, I don't think it's for everyone. And I think why it's not for everyone is more so about their own personal values and their own managerial bandwidth and what have you. Um, so I don't, I don't think, and my own perception prior to being in the industry now was it was a one-size-fits-all. You, know, you outsource something and you're giving away control of your business, your baby. And the reality is it's with offshoring in particular, you, all of those checks and balances that you have before anything would go to a client is still very much there. The process, if anything, it becomes more robust because you are going overseas and you want to ensure that you have got um, a tight procedure. Um, without sourcing, you know, I think that it's really about understanding what the client is looking for. Is it an outsourcing solution? Is it freelancing project work? Is it an hourly base? Is it part-time, full-time? So I think it's really about understanding what the long-term goals are for the client. Um, and and for us, given we've worked across so many industries now, it is it is becoming hard to find one that it doesn't work for. For, for the roles it does work for, I think, Predominantly, um, they're, they're non-client facing typically as a starting point for, to build confidence within the concept uh, for, for new businesses who haven't tried it before. Um, and it's typically something that you can measure. So you can measure success, you can measure performance, whether it's by quality or quantity or volume. I think they're great places to start. Um, and I think they're also the roles we're starting with, the roles that perhaps are going to give back time to onshore team members to be able to deliver on perhaps the function that they are neglecting, um, which perhaps gives other business value. Yeah, that's great. That's, you know, what you said there in terms of, uh, you know, not having kind of back-end people initially. Like people so commonly start with customer service and it's like, hold yeah. on, you know, wait, you're, you're yeah. testing this and they are the people that, that talk to your clients every day. That's your first um, you experience, know, right? Yeah, that correct, when you pick yeah, that phone up, that's your first impression of that business. Yeah, yeah, and yep. then measurable as well. It's that's super valuable because you want something, and also something that you can clearly write down into a process, isn't it? So that you can have a clear process, you can clearly measure it, and then you can expand to more complex roles from there. Yeah, I think where it doesn't work is where that ability to measure and provide guidance and training and support to a team member. Where that's not available, I think we're setting ourselves up for failure. I think anyone who's looking to do to build a team overseas, wherever that location may be, it has to come with the same set of expectations that if you're training someone next to you, that's going to require a lot of time and effort. A, a person overseas is going to probably require even more, just checking in to make sure they are grasping it. Um, so I think that the perception is it, it's my my. My belief is it's not for businesses who perhaps don't have the time to provide that training and support in order to get long-term success. At the outset, it's it's an investment, isn't it? And you know, in terms of an operational investment, uh, yeah. and and it won't happen overnight. But it, with the, setting the right foundations, it, it I works. Think we're in that it? instance where there isn't the opportunity for management and governance and training, perhaps outsourcing is the better solution, as in dealing with a third-party provider who manages the function and the output on your behalf. Um, that, that's not our solution. Our solution, obviously, is, is for, you know, integration with, with the, the, 
the dedicated team member um, doing the work rather than the provider itself. Um, but that's where I think outsourcing perhaps is a better solution for those businesses who just literally want to leverage performance, training, management all the way through. Um, that's where that has a really good fit. And so with ASW with a new client, would you help build out the operational, the process? Do you advise in terms of those things? We, we work in collaboration. One of the things that we certainly having done this now for quite a while, you know, 10 years, we certainly have got the ability now to pick where the opportunities are for improvement. Um, at the same time, we're respectful and mindful that no one knows their business, the client business and the nuances of their business the way the client does. So we're, we're respectful of not necessarily taking over their business and changing it and transforming it, um, but certainly working with the client to understand what does success look like for them and where are the opportunities in their mind where perhaps they could um, see value in improving. And with that, then providing um, guidance, um, performance metrics around that, achieving that. But we don't necessarily want to re-engineer their business. Um, we certainly look for opportunities and provide recommendation, but we we don't typically want to re-engineer their whole business, um, given that that could be a pretty daunting um, experience on their on their end. And you and I know the power of offshoring. Um, you know, I think it's the, the the most powerful business tool out there, hands yeah. down. And pe- yeah. everyone needs to start tomorrow. But people are a little bit unsure. They're untimid. Yeah. They're timid, or they maybe don't prioritize it. What is the mm-hmm. conversation like with you, with someone that's exploring the concept or outsourcing? And you know, how, how do you sort of get them to to start or dip their toe in? Yeah. So I think initially, what we call our discovery. Uh, call or, or meeting is about understanding what their goals and objectives are. Um, what is what are the current challenges that they're facing? And I think often it's the perception is that it's cost. The reality is it, it could be talent. You know, there's shortage of talent. It could be attrition, local attrition. Um, we've had a bunch of clients that just have high churn in some of their roles, and those roles somewhat probably are seen as menial here in Australia, but as you would know, they're seen as long-term career paths overseas where staff will jump into that seat and, and perhaps perform that, that role for five, six, seven years. So I think initially it's about understanding what it is their current pain point um, and at the same time understanding what the bandwidth or volume or need by way of part-time, full-time, ongoing project and, and really for us, a lot of those opportunities, we, f- we find out that the client isn't the right fit for our solution, and, and that's okay. And I think that's in, in the best interest of, of both the client and us that we don't venture down a path together and a partnership together that perhaps in six months, 12 months, two years isn't necessarily you know valuable anymore to, to that client uh, or us. So initially, it's about having a really open and, and honest discussion about what what are the values they're looking for, um, what's the need, how do we structure this team up, um, initially, which, which is, I think where a lot of the heavy lifting needs to be. Um, and the talent sourcing, I think one of our strengths is uh, we have two senior uh, talent people. We have a director of talent here and a head of talent acquisition here in Sydney who have been doing talent and HR for over 20 years. Um, they dive incredibly deep into the inside of what the client is looking for. Um so really understanding that um, and then also at the same time understanding from the client perspective, have I had past experiences? What was it about that experience perhaps wasn't the right fit? We're going to replicate a, you know, a previous problem. 
and at the same time then figuring out what location perhaps might be the best fit for them. And, and that's one of our unique uh, values is we do have multiple locations and perhaps that gives them more choice and deeper talent pools to, to consider. What do you say to people, you know, unfortunately there's a huge connotation with outsourcing that it mm. is about saving money and mm. getting the lowest price and, mm. um, you know, that can be such a, uh, a, a kind of false goal. Mm. Um, and so what do you say to people about price versus actually getting good value and good results? Yeah, I think that if you want great talent, and it's definitely an employee's market right now, uh, overseas as well as here. Um, I think if you want great talent, more often than not, you've got to go hunting for it. And that's even the case in, in these developing countries, isn't it? They're in the demand. Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. I mean, five or six years ago, it was relatively easy. Now it's it's become quite a challenge. So I think good talent comes with a cost um, and it should be considered an investment into your business and gaining that kind of IP into your business. I, you're right that the initial perception is it's about getting things cheapest. I think if, if any business is looking at a long-term sustainable team with low attrition, uh, they should be investing in talent perhaps that's over and above what they might have initially considered. Um, and that might go against the grain of perhaps what you see on ads, you know, from $5 per hour or $2 per hour on, you know, some of these ads. But I, I would argue that the churn and attrition within that model is quite high. Um, our value is is that if we would do it here locally, that's what we do overseas. So if um, someone comes to us here that's worth their salt in, in salary, um, we pay it. And if that's the same overseas, then we'll pay it and over and above. We probably have a model where by way of being a premium provider, you know, we provide the health benefits of all of our staff, so premium health insurance, but then also one of their family dependents, which is obviously quite important, particularly now where health is um, such a priority. I think that all of these things speak to finding talents become a real challenge and providing really great infrastructure, obviously, is also part of it where staff want to come and work. But keeping talent is also a challenge. Mm-hmm. And not only so finding it's hard and keeping it equally as hard and career mapping and culture and um, building activities and all of these things that you need to do in order to keep team members. I think one of the things, the sentiments that a lot of clients will say when they've had a negative experience with offshoring or outsourcing, it's been the constant having to rehire and retrain talent because they've, they've jumped ship. Often it's because they haven't been looked after on the salary side, the benefits side, the culture side. So for us, we feel that, you know, for the, for the sake of five grand or 10 grand by way of senior, junior, mid-level experience, the needle moves exponentially by mm-hmm. way of the talent you're gaining for that five grand, you know. So, um, yeah, I think for long-term sustainable teams, it's definitely worth looking at um, the higher end. And how do you structure the pricing? Because, you know, we're, we're primarily talking about allocating a person, but they're not just getting the person, they're getting, they're getting you, they're getting your executive team, they're getting your facilities, the hardware, the oversight, the experience. Yeah. How, do you, how do you structure all this? Yeah, so we have an end-to-end solution in that regard. So it, and it's, I guess it's, we don't have a, a watered-down version um, of our offering. And the reason for that is we feel that that impacts our culture. We want all our employees to um, have access to the same benefits that as their, uh, as their colleagues. Um, so 
we have a, a premium solution for all. It is a it's a flat management fee, and it it ultimately covers everything from recruitment, um, from from talent sourcing and recruitment, HR, IT, uh, hardware and and integration, and ongoing support and monitoring, um, through to account management, payroll, uh, HR with um, office engagement and activities. And an interesting one that we do, we've been doing this for 10 years, is all of our staff go on an international company trip together. So you can imagine hundreds of staff going on an overseas junket together, and that's great for our culture and part of our retention approach. It's not a cheap exercise, but um, we do that because the value we get and the, the, I guess the feedback from the employees is it becomes a real benefit. So that management fee, it's, a, it's all inclusive. We don't charge up front for IT, hardware or recruitment. And in the event there's a, that, that there is a need to rehire, we don't charge either. Fantastic. And that culture bit that you mentioned is so important, isn't it? You know, people yeah. think if they're offshore, they're just they're just a bum on a seat. But yeah. they're people too. They have career aspirations. They have, you know, huge community ties. And it's so yeah. important in the Philippines, I know for sure, that for it them really to is. feel a part of something and a part of, your mission, part of the client's yeah. mission now? I think the, um, the measure of success for us really is when our staff are out in their social networks talking to their friends, family and networks about who they work with, that they'll talk about their client. They'll say, I work with so-and-so, not ASW. Mm. That, that means that they've been fully integrated by way of culture and part of something bigger than you know, just working with ASW. And and for us, that's the ultimate. For us to be the, I guess, the provider uh, and the facilitator in giving that opportunity is is fantastic. But for us, that means that, that that team is valued by the client and vice versa. And I think that's um that really helps. I think I should mention just on the costing side of things. So there's, there's two parts to that, the manage the managed operations or the managed fee. And obviously the second part of that is a salary, which we pass through um, in full. There's no... Um, no margin or any of those things associated with that, which I know can be um, the case with some providers. Um, and we have full transparency in that regard. So clients are welcome to order books and have a look at that. So it's a holistic annual cost. We provide an annual billing and divide it by 12. Should be straightforward. Fantastic. Well, Daniel, that's that's incredible and well done for the growth and well done for coping with the pandemic. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, Thank amazing. You. And, of course, that's you know, fun. I just find it amazing that people not only get a world-class employee at great prices, but then they also get you and they get, you know, the entire organization sort of um, supporting this person to, to be a success. So it's yeah, incredible. Yeah, I think in value, times of it? challenge, you know, that's where those uh, additional services become a real value, you know, being able to lean on HR and IT and what have you. I think that's where in difficult times those additional support networks become, yeah, invaluable, Yeah. Absolutely. Good place to leave it. Thank you so much, Daniel. If anyone wants to learn more about ASW or get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, the quickest way is to visit the website. Uh, if they shoot through an inquiry on the website, they'll typically find me in some way. If it's the direct uh, contact, probably LinkedIn, uh, they can find me uh, on LinkedIn uh, pretty easily. I think my email is listed in the bio there. So, um, yeah, I, I welcome anyone to reach out who just want to have a, an initial chat and understand our solutions are the right fit for them and, and um, give any insights we possibly can. Yeah, that'd be, be wonderful. Great. And as always, I encourage everyone to to reach out, to have a conversation because it can be just absolutely life-changing for your business and, and just to, to try it, just to get started. So um, have that 
first conversation. Yeah, the concept is far more more scary than the reality, I think. Yeah, for sure. So, for sure. yeah. Thanks, Derek. That was Daniel Breeze of ASW Global. If you want to get in touch with Daniel, as always, just go to the show notes, which is at outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And as always, if you want to ask us anything, then just email us at ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.